dark and dusty drapes Let in some light Tell the billboy come and get my trunk Cause I'm leaving here tonight Hey everybody, welcome back to a new episode of Meryl Streep in the Movies with Zachary Scott Johnson and Meryl McNally. How are you this afternoon, Meryl McNally? I am good. Long time no talk. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, it has been a little while. We didn't get to... We are not here to talk about Dancing at Lunasa, like planned. (laughs) We are not. This is a very different movie. I think I enjoyed (laughs) this one a little more than I'll enjoy Dancing at Lunasa. Uh, I'm not sure I will. No. (laughs) (laughs) No. episode i'm very excited like i have a feeling we are like polar opposites on this one interesting i did not expect that <laughs> I did. excuse me everyone i am recovering from covid so i may hack every once in a while and <laughs> zach is gonna do the best he can to edit <laughs> my coughing out that's right <laughs> well it's so pleasant <laughs> yes but well i'm glad you're on the mend you sound worse than you feel from our discussion yes yeah yeah i caught it over listen i caught omicron with everybody else in the country and and you know have have been on the mend but i just have that like that nagging lovely covid cough that just will not go away um but yeah on on the mend thank goodness yeah absolutely and we didn't want to keep people waiting any longer to hear our thoughts on this film, especially if we're going to debate about it, which I can't wait for. (laughs) No, and because they just announced the SAG Awards and this film nomination, and it's definitely, definitely getting some buzz. And very, I feel like it's very polarizing. Completely. Critics didn't really love it. (laughs) Which is interesting. It depends on you were reading. Right. That was the whole thing. Here, you know what? Let's do our let's do our first segment first, which is the what else have you been watching? This is the discussion that we have that always goes way too long. People go, wait, this is a Meryl Streep podcast, right? I have been just trying to get in every and it's been a while since I've done this, trying to get in every Oscar movie I can. <clears throat> so I I watched Spencer I watched, I think we, I think we talked about the fact that I saw Power of the Dog on the last episode. Yes. I saw Power of the Dog, um, uh, The Last Duel, although I think that's got less of an Oscar chance at this point. I I just watched The Tender Bar with, with Ben Affleck, also directed by George Clooney, also less Oscar buzz, but still in the running on some aspects. Um. I attempted watching Being the Ricardos and made it halfway through that. Um, what else? Yeah, those are the big ones, I think. Nice. And then I watched a gem of a movie okay. called Dangerous <clears throat> with Scott Eastwood and Mel Gibson. And let me tell you, I watched it on purpose, I'm telling you, because... The description on Amazon says this. Uh, a, it's either a recovering or a reformed sociopath, right? That's how it starts off. 
as if somebody can recover from um, being a sociopath, which I found so hilarious. And then I watched the trailer and the reformed sociopath is Scott Eastwood, who like to show that he is a reformed sociopath puts on like, uh, like an ivory colored, like fisherman's cardigan and reads note cards, practicing things he should say to people that are like nice. Okay. Like he's at a, you know, he's like, okay, uh, sorry for you. And he practices in the mirror and I found it so hilarious because they were dead serious that I had to watch it. Wow. <clears throat> it is as bad as you might think. Is this, I mean, this is a current movie, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It just came out on Amazon. Like okay. I, I may have actually like dropped money to rent it, but I, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> I was like, I have to see this train wreck. Wow. <laughs> it must have. That reminds me a little bit of the the recent revival of, have you been watching the Dexter revival? I don't know if you watched the original or not. I did watch the original. I haven't watched the reboot at all. Um, not to not to infringe on your time or, or interrupt here. Because oh, that's one of the things about Dexter too is like, you know, I mean, he's a psychopath. And, you know, like now this, I won't give anything away about this current iteration. I actually really loved it. I think what they what they did was they did kind of exactly what they were hoping not to do, which is they made a show where everybody absolutely loved the first nine and a half episodes and hated how the last half ended, which is exactly what happened with the last run. But all that notwithstanding is most of this current thing really revolved more around his son, Harrison, and kind of training him not to be a killer, actually, necessarily, but to to kind of blend in better and to try to like control his impulses. And so there's a lot of that in there too, this idea of like training and practicing <laughs> the impulses of like that are against your nature. That's interesting. It's like, I'm fairly certain sociopaths are the best at mimicking right. emotion, right? They're, they're, they can be highly charismatic. And so I was like, did anyone do their research? Because <laughs> I don't think this is accurate. <laughs> Oh man. Well, in, in in any of those, did you have a specific like last duel or anything? I actually have last duel sitting there from the library. I haven't watched it yet, but any of the other, and I'm curious what your thought because I did watch being the Ricardos too. Did you give up because you didn't like it? What was what did you think of that one and some of the others? I I found the CGI a little unsettling. The the de aging. Um, that's not what stopped me from watching it. I I just I, I'm just highly sensitive to Aaron Sorkin's writing. I I figured and that he, might be it. And I and I I showed I sh I showed up and was there for it for the first part because he can be very engaging. And listen, A Few Good Men is one of my favorite movies. Like the man can write. I'm not saying he can't. But there's a scene where Nicole Kidman as Lucille Ball sits down in the bar with, um, oh God, what's that amazing actor's name? He plays Fred. Oh yeah, J.K. Uh, Simmons. Thank you. Sits down with J.K. Simmons and, and he mansplains to her why, why her husband would have affairs and how she just needs to be okay with it because it's a part of his culture and he's still coming home to her and I was like no I'm done 
and I turned it off. I was like, and I had already read a review by someone I respect and really trust that was like, it happens three times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are three, there are three mansplaining moments that are just too much. And so I, I just, and I, you know, Nicole Kidman, she really is a fantastic actress and she really does her best with it. And she's so compelling when it's Lucille, like, behind the scenes. Because there is sort of an essence of, like, the heart of businesswoman. Like, she's capturing it really well. It's just... When she tries to, like, be the on, like, Lu- like I love Lucy. Yeah. I, I just found it deeply uncomfortable. I was like, this isn't... This- <laughs> Huh. Work. Like, it's just, she's just not expressive. Like she can't move her face anymore. And, and Lucille Ball was so expressive. It just felt like a terrible miscasting and every, and I think she has surprised people with her performance, which doesn't actually surprise me because she's such a great actress. Right. Just the wrong role for huh. her. Interesting. Interesting. And the wrong role for Javier Bardem. Like, I feel like he's even more wrong for that part than she is for that. Like, I, and, and listen, they've had to like come forward and defend their casting. I, I get why they cast them. I mean, they're huge names and they're going to be draws. You're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. Yeah. I don't know. The whole thing made me itchy. I had to turn it off halfway through. Interesting. Yes. Interesting. How did you like it? What'd you think of it? Um, I liked it quite a bit better than you did. I, I hadn't really... Um, I think, yeah, it, it felt like a very Aaron... Very Aaron... I cannot say things today. Very Aaron Sorkin-y script. You know what I mean? It was... He's got his tics for as... You know, it's interesting because for as incredible a writer as he is, and, you know, he's just known... I was happy that there was less of the, like, quick, quippy walk and talk kind of thing that he's so known for, the newsroom, West Wingy kind of stuff. Um, it felt a little bit more natural. That's the thing is, like, there's great dialogue, and then there's natural dialogue, and then there's great natural dialogue. He does great dialogue. It's not natural dialogue. It's very, like, everybody in... It's because he is smart, or at least projects being intelligent, um, that, like, every character who, who reads his words seems like a genius, you know? And so I, I'm glad that this one felt real and kind of authentic to the time period. I, I guess that probably lines up with some of the mansplaining stuff. Um, I don't know. I I thought, I don't know, I was just kind of, I, I really liked it. I, I guess I will say that I haven't thought about the film much since I watched it, which is maybe not the greatest yeah. indication of how it, how it sits with me. But I really enjoyed it at the time. I remember I thought it was good i think i watched it on christmas day um nice i liked it i liked it yeah i do appreciate that it brought to light for, i mean for the people who watched it that that it really reminds us that it wasn't that long ago right when you couldn't show a pregnant woman on tv that it was considered offensive you couldn't even it's say the longer. word you couldn't even say the word longer. pregnant. yeah and, and like the two twin beds in the bedroom and I mean, I remember watching I Love Lucy as a kid, like on Nick at Night with my parents, and they talked about it. 
you know, like my, my parents were really good about sort of giving me context and history lessons about that stuff. And I, re- I remember that being a topic of conversation even then. Right. And, uh, how, how groundbreaking she was. Um, and it is cool to have a movie about that because I do feel like, it, you know, nobody's really watching, nobody's really watching cable anymore. Right. Um, I think the only people who are is the generation that grew up with Lucy. And there's, I think our generation is sort of, of almost got the remnants of it with Nick at night and, and the reruns and syndication she's getting lost. People don't know who she is. And that basically that entire period of film history is getting lost. They don't, they don't show the same films on TV. There's not as many references. Like I remember, and this is going to make me sound so old and date me, but like when we were growing up, there were constant classic movie references in advertisements. Mm -hmm. They were using music from like movies from the forties and fifties as like jingles in advertisements. There was a carryover. There was like Broadway music from the thirties and forties that would like filter into, um, our current entertainment and there's none of that now um which i think is really interesting so it's nice to revisit that kind of stuff and introduce her to a new generation to the extent a new generation is even watching being the ricardos which i don't know if they are right that is that's another thing that's important to note about it is who it appeals to are people who are already like aware of lucille ball's genius you know yeah Yeah. um i grew up as I mean, you know, somebody who absolutely loved I Love Lucy. And, you know, she had been on the air 50, not 50 years before us, but I mean, like, a long time before us, 40 years before us, you know? Yeah. And still watching those. I mean, I still have every season on DVD of that show. I love I Love Lucy, and I've been watching it on Hulu as well. Um, I I don't know. I, I th- It is interesting because that movie was originally had... Kate Blanchett, who we'll talk about in Don't Look Up as well, Kate Blanchett had been attached to this film for a long, long time. And I remember being really excited for that. Nicole Kidman, to me, makes a lot of sense. And I actually thought she... It's interesting to have to have your opinion. I see what you're saying about her face and everything. Um, I don't know. I just... I think Nicole Kidman is so good. And I know you do, too. I know that's not, you know... But, I do. Um, I, I think Nicole Kidman is just somebody who gets I don't know why she has and she doesn't have a bad rap with everybody but there are people who like don't like Nicole Kidman and I just don't get it like if you look at the stuff that she's put out between Bombshell I mean like we could list the the movies that she's been in within the last four or five years she's pumped out three or four really quality um things that she should have been nominated for and wasn't Bombshell Beautiful uh was it called no not Beautiful Boy what was the other one the one with Russell Crowe um, yeah, uh, about their son. Yeah, let me look it up. She should have been it is so good. She should have been nominated for that. She should have been nominated for Bombshell. She should have been nominated for that Destroyer movie. I mean, like she is, and then that doesn't even go into um, Big Little Lies and Nine Perfect Strangers and like all these, uh, you know, these TV series that she's pumping out too. Like she's just so consistently good that I think she's Boy Erased. Boy Erased. Yes, that's the one. Boy Erased. Yeah. Yeah. And there's probably other ones she, in there too. 
She's so good, and she's just so overlooked as much as any giant star who's known the world over can be overlooked, you know? Like, we need to put that in there, too, that she is a massive star, of course, but I think she's so good. I, I mean, I think... I, I, I would be surprised if she doesn't get an Oscar nomination. Listen, right. she gives a great performance, and I don't, I don't want to discourage anyone from watching being the Ricardos because of Nicole Kidman. She is not the reason I stopped watching. <laughs> By any means, she is compelling as she always is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, so if you love Nicole Kidman, if you've been curious about seeing that movie, I would definitely watch it. Just like if you're sensitive to mansplaining, which I am, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just like, yeah, it doesn't help too that like, I, I want to make a distinction. Like when you're doing a historical film like that, which is about the studio's response to her wanting to put her pregnancy on TV it's it's almost like Mad Men, right? You're capturing an era right. of misogyny. That's very intentional. That's not what I have a problem with. That kind of storytelling, I think, is necessary because people need to know where we come from and 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 feel the discomfort of it and know why it shouldn't be the case anymore. But, but Aaron Sorkin drifts into unintentional mansplaining right. through dialogue. Um, and, and that's where I get, it's when you get into that unintentional territory where I'm like, Ooh, I gotta go. <laughs> right. Well, and it's why, it's why a lot of the, I mean, a lot of the slavery films can be summed up in that way too. And the difference there is like, yes, we should, we should have those movies because we, again, it's exactly what you said. We need to be reminded. We need to be made uncomfortable by it, but also maybe those movies should stop being made by white men. Like they shouldn't be at the helm of it. And maybe that's, Absolutely. yeah, maybe that's the thing here. Is this really, truly, I mean, I guess it's not, it's called being the Ricardos. It's not a Lucy biopic. It's, a, it's both of them. But yeah, yeah, there could be an argument there that really it's not Nicole Kidman and Javier Bardem, although I can see the arguments there too, but it's really Aaron Sorkin. I, it's tough I... though. Because, like, if this was a passion project for him, which it sounds like it was, I don't know. When you have that kind of clout, how do you say, okay, well, this is something I've wanted to do, but maybe I'm not the right person. You know, like, that's a tough thing to do as as somebody with power. That's so true. And I will say, which is neither here nor there, Javier Bardem has an excellent singing voice. He sounds nothing like Desi Arnaz, but I was like, oh, I... I'd watch you sing a couple songs, man. He's got that, like, deep... I'm like, oh, this is good stuff. (laughs) It it felt like the least interesting character, though, out of all of them, which which for me mirrors his role on the show. He basically... And, I mean, it almost seems like what his personality was is he just wanted to sing some songs he didn't you know like he was like my wife is the funny one i'm gonna sing some songs and that's kind of like what his role on the show was and that's what his role in the movie is too in a way which is kind of an interesting mirroring i think those two things yeah and that had to i'm sure that had to have been hard um have you seen it's called the long long trailer that's what i was gonna guess but i wasn't sure okay continue yeah have you seen it yeah Okay, I, I, like, I don't know. I haven't watched it in years. But, you know, they get married. They want to save money on a house. So they buy this, like, trailer, which is essentially, like, a mobile home that they drive, you know, they drive by in their car. And uh, 
there is a scene in that movie where she decides she's going to stay in the trailer while he drives and she's going to cook. I think she's making a meal. And, you know, she was such a genius of physical comedy and, and she's just getting tossed around this trailer that's on the road while she's trying to make a meal. And it is like, I, I think of it sometimes and I just like chuckle to myself. Like I need to look it up and rewatch it because it's just a piece of genius. Yeah. (laughs) There was nobody better. There was nobody better. Yeah. No, I will say that, um, I think everybody knows the Vita Vita Vegemin. Yeah. <laughs> if you watched I Love Lucy, you know the Vita Vita Vegemin. And you know what came, it came close. It came close was Catherine O'Hara and Schitt's Creek with the Herb, Erli- the Herb Erlinger winery. <laughs> she can't say. <laughs> and it was so, it was so evocative of Vita Vita Vegemin. And I was like, well done, Catherine O'Hara. Well done. <laughs> Well, you have a good list. See, I actually, I'm trying to do like you, although I am doing, I think, worse than you. I wrote down all the like, months ago, all of the like, these are the ones that will be nominated according to critics at the time. I have quite a list going here. Oh, I saw West Side Story. Oh, you did? What did you think of that? I did. Well, it's stunning. I mean, it's Steven Spielberg. Like, there's no way it wasn't going to be. And Tony Kushner did an amazing job with the new script so that you really, you really get much more character development and understand where they're coming from. Um, but in doing that, there's far less dancing. And Justin's, Justin Peck's choreography, um, is is definitely more um like gritty and um less balletic and you can tell he was trying that he made a large effort to honor jerome robbins choreography so his choreography is evocative of jerome robbins Mm -hmm. but it doesn't have the balletic lines it's pretty um it's rougher around the edges and all of the all of the joy and humor is sucked out of it entirely that's too bad it's it's just dark it's really really dark there's really no humor in it interesting and yeah and i and it's sort of a consequence of the way they chose to approach it which i get like you're just not going to have like a super like even officer krupke was so layered with bitterness mm. at at their situation that it was no longer a moment of levity it, you know which it's which it's meant to be Rachel Ziegler is 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 beautiful she and Ansel Elcourt don't have a, a super amount of chemistry and they they both do a great job it I think it really falls apart in that final scene. Interesting. Cause yeah, it's, it's the final scene. It just doesn't, it doesn't pack a punch hmm. at all. That's so interesting. Cause that one has been getting like universal. I mean, I, everything I've read has been like, this is a masterpiece. This is the greatest thing Spielberg's ever done. This I mean, is it's the, done it. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I don't, 
it, it really is a stunning, a stunning film. He did a beautiful job. And it, and really, truly, in terms of the way they chose to develop the story, it just, I mean, all of the missing pieces come together, right? They filled in the gaps in a way that, that makes the story rich and more full, and they really give it a sense of, of place and time so that you understand the inevitability of, of the sort of destruction of their neighborhood. It's getting torn down for the construction of Lincoln Center mm-hmm. on the Upper West Side. And so they're fighting over territory that's not even going to be theirs in a year. Um, it, and um, so in that sense, it's like, it really is a masterpiece. Um, but that, that, fin- that final scene is definitely a weak point. It doesn't help my mindset at all that, you know, all of the, all of the allegations right. against Ansel Eichhorn came out, right. you know, before, like right after they finished filming. And, right, which is tough. Um, I, that's all I can think about because he's quite a bit older than Rachel Ziegler, who's still a teenager. And so it was hard. Yeah. It was yeah. challenging. Yeah, I get all that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've got my list here. Uh, I, I have four. Actually, I have five, but one of them I'm going to save for my movies we wish Meryl was in. Um, I've got four, and I can sum up how I felt about them in one sentence. Uh, awesome. King Richard. Loved it. Go watch it. It's amazing. I haven't seen it yet. It's so good. It's and it's so watchable. Okay. It's so watchable. It's just like, it, it's it, you will just, it, you will love it. You, I think you will love it. Okay. Power of the Dog okay. I watched as well. I did not love as much as you did. <laughs> Understandable. <laughs> there are things about it. For me, it was like, I, I don't know. I have. I know you. I know you have this too, but like there's like animal stuff in there. There's like, I mean, it's a Western, so it makes sense. But like, you know, I don't like animals in distress, which there was some of. I don't like, you know, I felt like how many times do we need to watch these people take a bath in the river? There was a little bit too much of that for me. <laughs> like, there is just, I, I don't know. I didn't feel compelled to love this film. I thought everybody did really well. And I didn't know Benedict Cumberbatch could be a bad guy. Wow. He was like, I was really impressed by his performance. Um, but I, it just wasn't for me. Oh, you should watch Atonement. Mm, yeah, no, watch that. Is he also the bad guy in that? Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think everything I've seen him in, he's been you know, affable. So he's got, he's got layers. I got to say, I mean, we knew he was a great actor. I knew he was a great actor being the Ricardos we talked about already, but honestly, I really liked it a lot. And Spencer was another one. I know you said you watched that too. Spencer was another one that I felt more kind of meh than I thought I would. Um, I don't know. I liked it, but I didn't love it. It was interesting because there's a lot of people who Kristen Stewart is perceived, I think at this point still probably as the front front runner to win the best actor, she has been really all along since the film came out. But she didn't even get nominated for the for the SAG, which is you know shocking. And they say, I mean, I read an article that was one of those classic like snubs and surprises from the SAG awards, and they said not to be you know hyperbolic, but I can't think of a single nomination that in the history of SAG that is more jarring than this. Like not having nominated her is shocking. Yeah. And, um, you know, I read a, I read an interesting kind of think piece on it, kind of pondering why it it happened. And, you know, she's been out on the campaign trail for a while as they all have. Um, 
but I think she recently has made a few comments about like not giving a shit about Oscars. <laughs> now in context, that wasn't as aggressive as it sounded. Right, right, right. Um, and what she had to say is what they would all say. Right. <laughs> um, but I, I think, I think sort of the remnants of her twilight history and her sort of outsider status coupled with those comments yeah. just pushed her out with her peers, which is, I, I mean, it's unfortunate. I, I mean, I would probably never watch Spencer again. I liked it. I find Diana's story distressing on a good day. It's hard for me to watch even a fictionalization of her suffering because it was, we all know it was pretty extensive. Um, And I, um, there were times where at at least at first it felt a little caricature. But then but then I bought in wholesale and I was really moved by her performance. I thought she did a beautiful job. And listen, it was like balls to the wall. It was like Natalie Portman in the Jackie movie. Right, like right. she just went for it. And I had a lot of respect for that. And the, oh my God, the costumes are stunning. Yeah. And it is the same director as Jackie, I think. Right. Yeah. 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 I, I think that that comparison makes a lot of sense to me because it does feel so similar to that film the tone of that film is the same where it was like kind of surprising and very the thing with it is like jackie was set like immediately after the assassination and so there was like already this like build up of that tension and we know it's like you say we know that about diana's life now too also i know i'm not the first to make this point but how many of these things are we gonna have seriously how many diana things are we gonna go i mean the crown is perfection we can leave that one but uh, the Diana the Musical, we've got this. Like, how many of these things do we really need right now? <laughs> I it's um it just still feels too soon. I'm just like, oh God, you know her her children. It's just like it's too soon. Yeah, they're alive. Yeah, yeah. it's too much. They're they're it's alive. They're our age. They're probably younger than us. <laughs> they're alive now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. It, uh, I feel I feel badly for them, and and you know I know they don't have to consume it, but you know constantly dredging up the tragedy of her is has got to be hard. Yeah, um, no doubt. Yeah, no, I just for for the record because obviously she listens to our podcast, but Kristen Stewart is is quite good in it, and I do think she is somebody she is. who is kind of like going the Frances McDormand route of like kind of being pretty fearless in her uh not only her choices but her performances and also with that like doing it for the I sake of, doing it for the sake of the work instead of the recognition like i i really don't think she does probably care about the oscar maybe that's just the vibe that she puts out and maybe it's manufactured who knows but i buy it i i suspect that yeah. she really is in it for the work and for doing the best she can and doing stuff that's interesting to her which is i think for any artist a noble thing so i think in context what she was actually communicating was that she has a healthy understanding of the ecosystem she's working in <laughs> the industry that she's working in that she like obviously there's a layer of everyone wants the oscar but at the end of the day it's a metal statue right. <laughs> and these aren't her words that's not what she said um 
but but she made it clear that it was a really funny thing that you had to campaign like a politician right. and that it didn't feel entirely comfortable for her. My God, who would it feel comfortable for besides a politician? Like the right. networking and flat handing and the, you know, that that's challenging. And I, I actually had a lot of empathy for the things she was saying in that interview. And then they obviously took the clickbait and and stuck it everywhere probably to her detriment given the sag snub so yeah um we'll see i still have not watched the lost daughter which uh, you know olivia coleman snagged a nomination and right. i i really want to see that i have not watched that one there are so many other ones i licorice pizza um the yeah. night, nightmare yeah. nightmare alley belfast tick tick boom macbeth um house of gucci uh i Tick, tick, boom, and Belfast. Oh, okay. What did you think? I love them both. I love them both. Belfast is just, um, God, it's a really sweet, nostalgic coming of age story. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I'm not sure how memorable it is. I loved it. Um, you can tell that a lot of love went into it. Let me put it that way. And the thing that I love about Kenneth Branagh's script and his directing is that he was very, he was just very clear on the voice. And so from the get go, you have this little boy's perspective of, I think it's 1969 Belfast when the, the sort of conflict starts you never leave the scope of this boy's experience. It's his neighborhood. It's his block. You don't go outside of that in Belfast. It's really his experience and how his family decided to move to the UK. Judy Dench gives a really beautiful performance as his grandmother. Syrian Hines is like epic as his grandfather. Catriona Balf and Jer- J- uh, Jamie Dornan are just like lovely. The whole thing is just a really lovely mm-hmm. watch. Nice. It's definitely targeted to an older crowd, like people who. It, it's not necessarily people who remember the the conflict in Ireland. It's more so people who you know, remember watching films in black and white, the film was in black and white, people who are really nostalgic about like old classic cinema, like the kid is really into Westerns and sort of envisions his life as like high noon and, and, and his dad is like a cowboy and being, going to see Chitty Chitty Bang Bang in the theater and like the thrill of watching the car fly. So it's just a lot of, there's a lot of nostalgia in the film, so I think it really caters to baby boomers more than necessarily a new, yeah, a new generation of viewer. But it is a beautiful film. I recommend it. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to see it. I, I've been excited to see that one. Um, I will say that I think the perceived frontrunner in Best Picture right now is still Power of the Dog, from from most you know most prediction models. But um, I think or that Miss Story. Yeah, yeah. This one might be kind of after one of those one of those uh, films. For a while, Belfast I think was the front runner until Power of Dog started screening. But um, it does feel to me, without having seen it, that it is kind of set up for one of those things where, like, every once in a while, you get the article being like the worst best picture winner. You know, like the people who rag on uh, the King's Speech winning or the artist winning. This feels positioned to like in ten to fifteen years 
be that, you know, where people go, yeah. this really wasn't the best picture that year. Yeah. So. Yeah, for we'll sure. Um, Tick, Tick, Boom is also a joy. I'm excited to see that I, one too. Yeah, I do think that um, your level of enjoyment, and I don't know, I'd be really interested in talking to somebody who really doesn't have any musical theater background whatsoever who watches it and what their take on it is because it's a it's absolutely a love letter to Jonathan Larson but it's also a love letter to Sondheim and musical theater right um for a first time out the gate it's a pretty stunning it's a pretty stunning film for Lin-Manuel Miranda the I mean the editing is so intricate and the way they set it up so for, as a little backstory, Jonathan Larson was a was a musical theater composer. He wrote Rent. He never saw it go up. Um, it premiered off Broadway at New York Theater Workshop. He passed away from a pulmonary embolism the day before it opened, and then it was this mega hit. It was like the Hamilton of the '90s, and continues to be like beloved. And he didn't he didn't write any other musicals. He had a partially written autobiographical musical called Tick, Tick, Boom that he had done workshop style and they had videotaped it. And people have adapted it and sort of tried to finish it since then and put it on stage, but Lin-Manuel Miranda took it and adapted it for film. And so he took, he took that VHS footage of Larson and sort of recreated it for the film. Oh, cool. So there, there's an element of like a performance happening that's been recorded intercut with like real life scenes of things happening in Jonathan Larson's life. And then, um, and then like, and then recreated video footage as well. So there's like three or four layers of like different structures going on in the film. I, I mean, I would definitely give whoever edited it an Oscar nomination. I was super glad to see Andrew Garfield got a nomination too. Cause he just, I mean, he just puts everything into this. Um, I did get to go to the premiere, which was super, you know, emotional too. Cause it was a theater crowd. It was in a Broadway theater and Lin-Manuel Miranda was there, most of the cast. And uh, so it just had like really, it had really good juju for me. So, yeah. you know, my experience is definitely shaded by that. Yeah. Because, you know, who gets to go to a, who gets to go to a movie premiere, first of all? Right. <laughs> and then for it to be that and such a, and there are just fantastic, I won't give them away, but there are fantastic cameos too. Right. Just like everybody showed up for Lynn for this, like you can tell, including yeah. Sondheim. So. Right. Yeah. And that voicemail. Yeah. Um, they are, yeah. I've read several people who feel like Andrew Garfield is actually a very possible spoiler and best actor. You know, Will Smith has been perceived as a front runner, but they say it is entirely possible that, you know, he sneaks in there and grabs it out from under him, which would be interesting. I think, yeah. I mean, Benedict Cumberbatch, Denzel Washington, I'm just hearing so much about all of them. It's going to be, I mean, this is, this is going to be a fun Oscar year. Yeah. Really fun because there are no, Lock, there are no lock-ins. Right. It's just going to be really exciting. Yeah. And a lot of first-timers, a lot of unknown names, too, which is interesting, too. Or people who have, like Marley Matlin, you know, people who haven't been in, you know, in the conversation in 20 years, uh, you know, which is interesting, too. Well, shall we, shall we debate we here? We should. Let's debate. I think we should. 
for the people we've made wait so long. Yes. So we are not here to talk about Dancing in Luna. So we're here to talk about the 2021 Adam McKay joint, Don't Look Up. Do you want to give a synopsis, Meryl? You could, this is one where you could be very, uh, you could say it in one sentence. You could make it very uh, specific. You could do any whatever you want to do. <laughs> um, sure. So the premise is that um, Jennifer Lawrence's character is a PhD student at Michigan, and she is an astro- she's an as- astronomer, and she discovers um, a comet. And after doing calculations with her professor, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, Dr. Mendy, they, and, and doing the math, they discover that this comet is very large and headed straight for Earth with like, like 100% headed straight for Earth. And so um, they end up taking this information to the president of the United States, played by Meryl Streep, in despicable form, and they uh, choose to ignore it. And um, basically the film is like two and a half hours of these characters trying to get people to listen and nobody really listening. And it is a satire and it's, it's a commentary on our obsession with pop culture and the most popular clickbait and our unwillingness to uh, see the truth that is apparently right in front of our faces that we are ignoring. And there's like a massive ensemble cast of great actors in it. And uh, I won't spoil the end, but that's kind of it, right? Yeah. Am I leaving anything out? (laughs) No, that's great. I think we should say uh, that this is one... Uh, for a couple reasons, I feel like we probably will have to talk about the ending. So if you don't want it spoiled. Yeah. Yeah, There's no way to not talk about the ending. I think on this one, I I wouldn't call it a spoiler. It's pretty clear from like the first 20 minutes of the film that the ending is going to be what it is. Um, Yeah. So if you don't want spoilers, leave the podcast now. Yeah, I will say in, in preparation as I was getting ready to read a one-star review, which I just, I had this feeling. I was like, oh, I bet there are some great one-star reviews for this one. And actually, they're not nearly as funny. I mean, I got like one that I think is kind of funny, but um, the thing, one that I remember reading was somebody saying, you know, like it was clear within the first 10 minutes how it was going to end. So we just skipped to the end and then they ragged on the movie and it's like, well, you didn't watch the movie from the sounds of it. You watched the first 10 minutes and then the ending. How can you really like base an opinion? Anyway, there was a lot of that kind of stuff, but yes, it's pretty clear what's going to happen in this one. Um, so yeah, the cast of this one, I just, I, I mostly just want to read this list because yeah. it's, to me, is like yeah, the most too. incredible ensemble. The previously yeah. mentioned Jennifer Lawrence, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Meryl Streep, Rob Morgan, who was uh, fantastic in this movie, Kate Blanchett, who, oh my God, she's so good in this movie. She is. She's phenomenal. Jonah Hill, Mark Rylance, Tyler Perry, Timothy Chalamet, and probably my favorite, Timothy Chalamet. Like this is the first time that I haven't been kind of bored by him. So, <laughs> Ron Perlman, Ariana Grande, Kid Cudi, Hamish Patel, uh, Michael Chiklis, and then in cameos, Liev Schreiber was the Bash narrator, which I didn't pick up on. I didn't recognize that. I didn't either. Chris Evans, I saw. Chris Evans has a little cameo. Sarah Silverman has a little cameo. There's a lot of, you know, sprinkled in stuff, too. I mean, what an incredible cast. 
cast. It's just insane. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it really is. What'd you think? Okay, this is where I'm going to drop that. Are you ready to rumble? <laughs> Sound effect. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. Let's I, do it. I loved it. I loved, loved, loved everything about this movie, Meryl. I loved it. I was it. like, did you say love or love? <laughs> I loved it. I've watched it two and a half times. I would happily watch it again. I loved it. Okay, wait. Be, let me let me say something quick, which is... No, you, you have the floor. I'm going to let you talk about all the reasons why you loved it. Okay. Like, it's your... I will say, I was thinking about this earlier when I was thinking about the movie, um... I, I probably annoyed people on our podcast in the years building up to like Little Women and Mary Poppins Returns because I remember saying for both those movies, like, this one isn't for me. And that's fine. <laughs> I remember saying that about both of them. If there has ever been a Meryl Streep movie that was aimed directly for me, it's this one. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's this one. This just hits so... I, I mean, I thought the movie... It, part of it, too, I will say, is... I liked it. Uh, so I watched, I was so anxious to see it that I did like one of those probably quite illegal torrent stream things. I was like a bootleg of somebody just filming it in a movie theater, which is not a good way to see this movie. You couldn't really understand most of what they're saying. So I only watched half of it and was like, screw it. I'm going to wait till it comes out on Netflix, which is why I say I've seen this two and a half times. Um, I enjoyed it so much more uh the second time than the first time. There are so many layers to these scenes. There's a lot of like people talking over each other and like catching tiny little things. Another thing not to again sound like an older person but close captioning really helps with this movie because again there's like a lot of people talking over each other. There's a lot of like stuff, you know? I watched it with captions too. Yeah. <laughs> I've started, okay, guys, I really am old because I've started turning on captions for everything now. I did too. Because you just catch so much more yeah. of the dialogue, especially in these, like, especially in these layered comedies. Yeah, I'm there for that. I hear you entirely. Yeah. I just, this hit every button that I, that I have. I mean, I loved it because, I mean, like, this is so much of, this movie is really like a commentary on... Um, a lot on like global warming and climate change, but it seems if you look at it through a certain angle, and I know some of it was intentional as well. It's just so much a commentary on anti-vaxxers to me and like Trumpism, which is not subtle. It's a hundred percent trying to do those things. But I think what a lot of people are interpreting as like the main focal point of this and like what is mostly lampooning is climate change and, and global warming which is also there in spades but i mean like his dicaprio's monologue at the end when he finally breaks down it's interesting because early in the film um these two scientists make a tv appearance because as you mentioned they they warn the president and she basically blows them off and she 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 doesn't want it, the optics to affect her uh midterm chances so she, she downplays it. And in the meantime, they're like, well, we can't wait. So they went on, you know, like one of those morning fluff TV shows, which is where uh, Kate Blanchett and Tyler Perry are, are featured as the incredible morning show hosts. They are so good. They steal this movie as far so as I'm good. concerned. They're they so good. I agree. Um, <laughs> and Jennifer Lawrence has kind of a breakdown and starts screaming in the first one. And he comes back a few times and in fact starts having a relationship with Kate Blanchett, which is just 
really fun, I think, too. And he, at the end, has this monologue that's so incredible. I actually wrote it down, and I don't even know why I wrote it down, but I remember, like, pausing and writing it down and pausing, click, you know, like... I, it was, everything he was saying is exactly what's happening in the world right now. You know, there are people who, for political reasons, are ignoring something that is so obvious and they're doing something that is detrimental to their own well-being, to their own health, simply because somebody who does not care about them says it's a certain way. And that's what it's a lamp, you know, that's what they're saying in this movie. But they're managing to do it by mostly being really funny. I also really like Adam McKay. His last couple movies, Vice, I thought was incredible. I liked The Big Short as much as anybody liked The Big Short. That was, you know, fun, but also a little bit more heady. Um, so, yeah, okay, so what were your uh, what were your issues with this film? I'm, I'm curious. I also like Adam McKay. Um, I loved Kate Blanchett and Tyler Perry. I I thought Leonardo DiCaprio's character arc was fantastic. Uh, I thought Jennifer Lawrence was amazing. Um, my my I, I like Timothy Chalamet as well. I would say that I really loved that final scene at the dinner table. Um, I there were elements I liked. I will tell you, I loathe this movie. Interesting. <laughs> I mean, one hundred percent loathe. Wow. <laughs> and listen, this is after listening listing things that I see as like quality elements. Yeah. I loathe it. In the first twenty minutes, I was like, "Oh my god, Adam McKay, your mind is a dark, dark, cynical place with no faith in humanity," and I'm not sure. I was half an hour in, I looked at the timestamp, and I was like, I have two more hours. Yeah. I don't know if I can do it. Wow. <laughs> it was so heavy-handed and, and, like, dark. Like, I didn't find it funny. Like, there were elements I found humorous. I didn't laugh out loud once because I just felt so bad for Adam McKay. <laughs> wow. Interesting. <laughs> I was like wow, is this how you see the world? I mean, listen, I, I think people out there are bonkers, and I think pop culture gets insane, and I do think that we are blind to things that are right under our nose, and people do some crazy, crazy shit, but there's also, like, so much love in the world, and, like, we're doing our best. <laughs> And, you know, Jonah Hill, I, like, he made me want to crawl out of my skin. I was like, I can't, like, I can't actually stand you for five more seconds. And I generally like Jonah Hill's performances and things. And I, like, Meryl Streep was deadly. Like, I could not, I was like, oh, I can't, you are such, like, her character is such a heinous human being that I couldn't even, I was like, oh my God, get off the screen. (laughs) It was so visceral. I was like, I hope I never have to watch this movie again. (laughs) I have. Isn't that fascinating? Polar opposites. I've never been more surprised 
by any of our reviews. Listen, it could totally be my headspace because for context, guys, like, like I'm a month out from COVID and yep. still like coughing up a lung. Like I've got like family stuff going on. And I found out like my car broke down. It's then like in recall and needs a new engine. And it's going to take a month. And like, you know, the theater industry is pretty bleak because of Omicron. And like, I'm not in a great headspace. Sure. So obviously colors it um and i and i'm just like so sensitive to like anything that like energetically pulls me down at the moment because i'm already like doggy paddling to like keep my head above water in like a in a like a joyful headspace so that's probably a large part of it but yeah that was my i was like oh i i just like I just couldn't get past how dark it was. It was so dark. It was darker than the darkest, like, prestige drama I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, my perception of it is different. I can relate to what you were just saying, by the way. The idea of, like, it being too close and the timing of it. So, for... I might have said this at some point in a previous episode, but... Um, I, maybe a year or so ago, Jeff Daniels uh, and somebody else... I think it was that Brendan Gleeson, maybe did um they did a mini series called the comey rule i think it was called where it was like the jim comey hillary clinton donald trump thing and i had to like five minutes ten minutes in i had to turn it off i was like i can't it this just happened i can't watch i was so tense watching it even though i knew where it was going i knew what was going to happen maybe that's a part of it here too like you know yeah it's the other part of it too I will tell you is that this is two and a half hours of people, a, a tiny group of people trying to make people listen and a, a, about something catastrophic that's going to happen and no one is listening. Right. Right. And they never do. Right. And so th- that's just stressful in and of itself. Right. Because right. no, I've never had to convince people that some world catastrophic event is going to happen. But I certainly have had experiences in my life where I try to get people around me to listen and they just don't. And it's a very isolating sort of lonely feeling. You feel like you're, you're screaming in a room full of people and everyone's just, you know, drinking their wine and eating hors d'oeuvres. Like, right. right? And, and no one's listening. And so that film was very evocative of that feeling, yeah. which was like, Bleh. I was like, no, no. <laughs> I can, I can relate to that too, but I will say for me, and maybe, maybe I'm as, uh, cynical and jaded as Adam McKay is. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, like, I don't think so. You seem like a pretty joyful person, but Adam McKay does too. Like his other comedies are so funny. Right. No, but here's here's the thing. I truly believe in my heart that in the in now and within the last four or five years, since a certain sect of our population has been emboldened, and uh, the see, I'm trying not to I'm trying not to like go there too much because I feel like I annoy myself on our podcast that like I must annoy other people. But well, I think we ought to go ahead and like tell people now like this movie is so highly political there's no way to talk about it without getting into like current right like current events and like recent history with with you know president trump and there's just no way and that's what they're satirizing yeah Yeah. so (laughs) i i mean i am convinced with every fiber of my being that if there were and thank god there's not as far as we know but if there were a comet headed towards earth 
that there is a large percentage of our population that would say it is a hoax. Given everything that has happened within the last couple of years, I'm sorry, I believe that to be true. And You're probably right. I mean, it's just, that's why I loved his monologue so much at the end. Because what he says, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he has this moment where he's like, what have we done to each other? You know, if we can't agree that this thing that's, I mean, we have pictures of it. We saw it with our own eyes. Anybody can see this thing. If we can't all agree that that is bad, what has happened to us and what do we do? And that idea too, and that there are people like him, and again, this goes to Fauci, this goes to everybody else. What they start doing in those moments, instead of listening, is they start firing the people who have, you know, who who speak up and say this thing is happening. They, they don't like what they're saying, and so they start holding the scientists personally accountable as if it's a choice they're making. And I just can't allow myself to, like, feel sympathy yeah. anymore. I really struggle with that, but I, I mean, like, these people are just living in a fantasy world where they decide what reality they choose at this point. And I can't, that's what to me was successful about this movie is he was just pointing that out. They, they were all pointing that out. They were saying like, this thing is happening whether you believe it's happening or not. And there's something powerful about that because I mean, what we've gone through collectively with COVID, it should have been something that united us. I believe that in my heart. It should have been something that made us come together like a, like a good movie is supposed to do. And instead, it divided us in ways further than we've been divided in our lifetime, you and I. This is as far apart as we have ever been. And this was something that should have brought us together. And I, like it, I go through phases, and maybe that's where you're at too. Maybe that's where everybody goes with these things. But there are moments when I'm so upset and there are moments where I just give up and there are moments when I feel a little bit of hope and then it like goes in cycles, you know? But what this yeah. movie did for me was like, it, it was the first time that I've been successfully able to look at it and just laugh at how fucking insane it is. Because what this movie did was bring out every exaggerated version of everybody who's out there. And for the first time, I didn't have to be angry at Donald Trump because Donald Trump was being played by Meryl Streep and she was having a fucking blast doing it. And I didn't have to be mad at Fox News because I could watch Kate Blanchett and Tyler Perry act like insane idiots and have a really good time doing it. I loved that because I haven't been able to do that in so long. I, that's why I liked this movie. Gotcha. I totally, I mean, I totally see your, I totally see where you're coming from. And there were things that I, like, appreciated the commentary on, like, you know, when, when uh, Jennifer Lawrence goes nuts on air, yeah. and they all just credit her as being crazy, yep. rather than the actual scientist with valid data that she is, and the backlash she faces. And then, like, unexpected things like Kate Blanchett is is meant to be reminiscent of like you know uh, truly one of the one of the blonde commentators on Fox News absolutely mm -hmm. she's supposed to be reminiscent of that but when she has an affair with Leonardo DiCaprio you find out that she you know has like four master's degrees speaks four languages right it's like, like deeply smart pedigree and she's choosing to hold herself out as this like because she knows 
she knows it gets her followers, right? She knows it ups her popularity. And I think that's the commentary that I, I liked in this film, this idea that we can be seduced by, by fame and celebrity and be distracted by it. Right. Um, but then there were, like, the moment where Ariana Grande is on the morning show <laughs> and her boyfriend, they make up and she, he proposes and everyone is so busy paying attention that they don't, that kind of stuff, I don't know if it's that it's holding up a mirror that it upsets me, but I like, I just like to think that people have better discernment that at the end of the day, um, when something, and I don't know if this is true, it may be my idealism, but at the end of the day, if something truly catastrophic is happening, we're going to do our best to try to come together. Right. And it's in the aftermath of those things that we start to break apart. And I do think that's sort of what happened with COVID, right? Like we all went underground. We all quarantined. We all did those things. We stayed at home. And then the messaging just got so fractured. Um that, that things started to fall apart and people get so scared that they allow themselves to get wrapped up in, in ideas of hoaxes and conspiracies. And I just think it's all fear-based. Yeah, feel, absolutely. I just feel like people are responding out of fear and I hope that like one day they can like let that go and kind of see the light. Um, but this didn't, this didn't, this didn't give any leeway for that, right? Sure. This was like... This was a searing, searing criticism <laughs> of our culture as a whole with like no room for empathy. <laughs> really until the very end. And that's why I love that dinner scene so much. I loved it too. Yeah. Because so that was showing that was that honestly, that scene was showing the humanity I was looking for throughout the whole film. Yeah. I was like we're, we are better than this. Right. <laughs> I know things get rough, but we are better than this, Adam McKay. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's very exaggerated. It's very exaggerated, which it is, is... And it's a satire, so it's supposed to be. Right. You know? And I, I totally, like, I, I get that. I will never watch it again. <laughs> See, I get it. I get it. You, you could do you, but... There are some moments that, like, are so... I, I, there are a couple little moments. Can I describe, like, two or three of my favorite little tiny throwaway moments that I loved in this? When Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Blanchett are hooking up for the first time, she grabs him and says, Tell me we're all gonna die. Tell me we're all gonna die. Oh, God. It is a great moment. My favorite moment of the whole film is actually when the general charges them for snacks and yes. it turns out the snacks are free. Oh, my God. I died. I, that was great. That is a really, really good ongoing joke. I have to say, you know, Jennifer Lawrence, it's funny because she is so self-aware or maybe, I don't know, she just has no filter or something. But yeah. she she's so, I think, smart in the sense that she knew she was overexposed as a celebrity. And so kind of made a, a concerted effort to back off, to kind of like disappear for a little while. And I mean, I've heard her say that in interviews that she was like, I, I was tired of me and I get that. Like we were seeing too much of her at some point, but I don't give a fuck. Jennifer Lawrence in this movie is the funniest thing to me. She's so funny in this movie when she stops caring, when she starts talking to, to Meryl as the president in that 
oh, so now that you're behind, you know, like she just doesn't care. And another moment that is so, I mean, it's not going to be funny me recounting it, but it's so good in the film. It's mostly because of the quick cuts. There's this, she just starts screaming in like the break room and you're going to die and you're going to die. And And they cut, they cut her off like right in the middle of the third one, but it's just so good. She's so funny. I know this award season is stacked, but I am surprised that there's not more talk around her performance and probably because it's so, one, it seems so effortless. Right. Um, and, and she is so sort of like quiet and and snarky, but I mean, she's pretty epic in this. She, she is a reason to watch it. If you're, if you're going to, I mean, honestly, everyone is a reason to watch it. <laughs> really, everyone is great in it and it's really well written. I, I really like my response was so emotional and visceral. It has nothing to do with the quality of the film. <laughs> like truth. And I'm curious too, this is, this is neither here nor there in some ways, but I think I mentioned this to you. So we had been kind of, you know, keeping in touch and just before this film came out and we were both excited about it ahead of time. And when they started screening it, I sent you a, a link because I was like, look at these, look at the things that people are saying who were at the first screening. And it was all like, everybody's going to get an Oscar. This is incredible. It was like top, top to bottom. Just everybody loved it. And then um, I felt like my, every social media thing of mine around Christmas time, everybody was talking about two things, this movie and that Beatles documentary that's on the Apple thing. I felt like everybody was talking about those two things. I Were you getting any of that? Were, were you seeing a ton of that? Like every person I knew was commenting on this movie in a way that I hadn't seen in since like Tiger King came out. No, I can't, I can't decide if I was on social media more or less, probably on a little more because I was sick and just like, you know, yeah. it's on my couch. No, no one really talked about it on my feed. And it's not it's like, it's not like I'm friends with, it wasn't about Meryl necessarily. It was just like this movie everybody right. was commenting on. And like I said, the Beatles thing too. It felt I mean, like. I mean, I saw a few posts that like, Hey, oh, oh, I'm really excited to watch this. I'm watching this now. Yeah. But like, I didn't see any posts where people are like, Oh my gosh, I have to watch this right now. Or yeah, like no commentary. But I also didn't see any posts about the Beatles documentary. I had a really great conversation with one of my good friends who was like, you have to watch the Beatles documentary now. <laughs> um, and so I watched um, I watched the first part like while I was sick with COVID. Yeah. Um, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's really good. But yeah. no, no, I didn't have a lot of, there wasn't a lot going on on social media. But listen, like my crowd is so like theater based. There was tons of like, watch Tick, Tick, Boom. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I think it has to do with, you know. But see, that's the thing is I was surprised that my crowd um, was feeling this way about this movie. It's a, you know, it's a lot of songwriters in my crowd. It's a lot of, you know. Yeah. And so I wasn't, I wasn't expecting, the Beatles thing made sense. I wasn't expecting it for this. Um, but I guess I'm, I'm friends with a lot of politically minded folks too. So maybe that was part of it, but, but then the reviews started coming out. And like you said, there are some really great reviews and there are some really terrible reviews. There's very little in between, you know, it's like you either loved or you hated this movie. It was very polarizing, which again is a satire. We talked about this with, um, promising young woman too. It's a similar thing where like it, it, it's made for a certain audience and it's made to honestly agitate the other, you know, the other side yeah, well, and I'm definitely not the other side, but, like, I'm definitely agitated. Right. 
<laughs> so like and I love like I think it's kind of great that we had like polar opposite reactions to this movie yeah. and look at us Zach we're having a discussion about it like adults mm-hmm. and we're not getting mad at each other it's possible <laughs> <laughs> right like it's so great like I mean it's and I I think it's I think that's the benefit of a movie like this right like it really it gets dialogue going and I don't know if it's about the things that'll really make a difference, but I do think a movie is neutral territory where you can start to like talk about this stuff a little easier than you could, you know, cause it's all, it's all theory, right? Like you're talking about like what you did and didn't like about a movie versus whether or not you think Fauci is telling the truth. Like, right. <laughs> right. right? Like sort of a safe ground, like start dipping your toe into like crossing. At least I hope this is me being hopeful, hopeful Meryl. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I think it did its job. I think it did exactly what it is supposed to do. Okay. And I like that there are pull. I, I like that there are reviews on like the opposite spectrums. I like that you and I are in different positions about the film. Um, I do think it's worth watching. Um, yeah, I do think it is. I mean, it's a well done film with an amazing cast and amazing performances, and there are some really interest. There is some really interesting messaging in there. Yeah. I just, just literally, I just can't. I was like, oh my god, this is the darkest movie I've ever seen. That's interesting that that's, yeah, I can, I can see that. You know, part of it too, because you mentioned being really turned off by, by Jonah Hill's character. I won't say performance, because actually he probably did exactly what he was supposed to if he yeah, turned you off that he did much. his job. He's, yeah. he's essentially one of the Trump kids, like somebody who's not qualified to be there, the daughter of the president, who's like the chief of staff, who's like absolutely a terrible human being. <laughs> and like, you know... I can see why that character would would push somebody and I can you know I can see how people would be annoyed by that in the same way of what I was just describing with the Comey law like it's too close and it's too real to what we actually just went through and we're still feeling not yeah. so great about that so like seeing it represented in a way that's supposed to make us laugh I see how I don't know why this one hit me in a way of like I was ready for it now um yeah but I've not been ready for it until now I would not have been ready to laugh at what's been happening in this country um, before now. But I think this just, for whatever reason, it just, yeah. it just did it for me. In a way, it surprised even me how much I liked this. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, it surprised me how much I loathed it. Like, I was surprised, <laughs> right? You know what I really struggled with more than anything was, that you know, part of the uh, I think Meryl Streep, Jonah Hill, like the, that's the heaviest handed it gets. Right. right? right. Um, and she has, as president has nominated someone to the Supreme court who is, um, his name is Sheriff Conlin. There's like a very like fast, like throwaway line about him never having gone to law school. And it turns out he's an ex porn star. Like this is who the president has nominated to the Supreme court. And it's a huge scandal because then you find out the president has actually sent like pictures to him (laughs) and like they have some sort of like clandestine relationship. So like there's a there's a porn star that's going to be on the Supreme Court. I found that entire storyline so sad. Like I I just like it weighed on me so heavy because 
the system of government, this three branch system of government that we put in place that we like have tried to be idealistic about since our founding fathers did it and how flawed the system actually is and like how much respect in the past we've shown to the Supreme Court, the office of, of the justices at the Supreme Court and like how dark their history is. Right. And like what I think, I think I just struggle with what a joke our government has become. And then I think about the fact that maybe it always has been, right. and we've been showing it deference that it didn't deserve because it's harmed so many people, you know, and all of it just makes me so sad. Right. Like, just like, oh. And the, and the, and the place of social media and all of that, because you're exactly right. Like the stuff that's been happening in the last couple of years has probably been happening for a lot longer than that. It's just, we weren't aware of every tiny little detail because it wasn't reported 24 seven everywhere. You looked every moment of your life, you know? So there's part of that. I was that, that particular, I did get a little nervous because that's early in the film that that part comes up with the Supreme court justice. They actually kind of move on from that pretty fast but it's it's a relatively minor moment in the film where like yeah she as the president sends pictures of her private parts to this her supreme court uh nominee but also i did get nervous about that for the exact reason that you were saying because for me it was also like i mean i can't believe in the trump administration we didn't have pictures out there you know what i mean like i can't believe that we didn't go there because i i would not have phased me in the least if that had happened so I, I was a little nervous of that road that they were going down. But they, like I said, they kind of moved on from it pretty quickly. Yeah, they did. They didn't linger on it. Yeah. It was also so extreme that it it, it lost its, in, the, the humor lost its intelligence for me, right? Because it was just like, I find, I find satire much more funny the closer it is to the truth, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? That was so far out there. And like her smoking was also like a weird thing. <laughs> I was like, this is just so strange. <laughs> the whole thing just made me sad. I was just so sad. I hesitate to ask this question, but do you have any favorite scenes in this film? <laughs> Really, the scene where the general charges them for snacks, or where she figures it out, for sure. I loved the last scene um, at the dinner table. Um, um, I have I have zero favorite Meryl Streep scenes. Interesting. Oh no! (laughs) (laughs) It it was just it was too much for me. (laughs) <laughs> have you have you been paying attention to any of this stuff that has come out about how much of it she improvised? No, uh, did she improvise a lot? Uh, they the say a ton, um, and Jonah Hill did too. They said there's. It's interesting because you can actually see it on um, if you if you search Meryl Streep, uh, don't look up the this Adam McKay had been putting out these three little special things, and one of them was just about how Meryl improvised. And that first kind of the most consequential uh, Oval Office scene between the three of them when they tell her what is happening. And it's just like a bonkers off the rail scene. It begins with her ending a conversation on the phone with somebody. And he said that they did 20 to 25 takes and she improvised a completely different 
weird, bizarre thing. He said it was, and remember, this is coming from Adam McKay, who comes from the world of Will Ferrell and, you know, John C. Riley and really great improvisers, and Jonah Hill in this, in this film. He said that he has never in his life seen a tour de force of improvisation better than what she did in those, he said. I would love to see outtakes of that. It, a lot of them, I mean, I don't think they included all 20 to 25, but you can see a bunch of them on, on YouTube. They put them up. Hopefully when they put it out, they'll, they'll put up everything. But they said, and it's funny too, because there was all this stuff when she was promoting the film, she was talking about how she felt kind of out of her element because it, she actually said she felt like she forgot how to act during the pandemic. She was nervous about coming back because it felt like she didn't know how to do this anymore. And then for it to be improvising with people who were really good at improvising... Uh, there was also something that I thought was really funny, which is uh, Jonah Hill had in several group interv- interviews referred to her as the GOAT, meaning, yeah, I'm sure everybody knows this, but the greatest of all time. That's what that stands for. Yeah. It's mostly a sports thing. Meryl did not know that that was a thing. And so she thought she was being called a GOAT. And so she did an interview <laughs> with somebody else where she was like, yeah, Jonah Hill just started calling me the old GOAT the other day. <laughs> Jennifer Lawrence then did tell her that, oh, you understand that this means the greatest of all time. But there was another kind of interesting moment because in an in a joint interview, Meryl described like what she does. You might have seen this because it's got some headlines too. What she does to unwind when it gets stressful, and she reveals that she watched she watches the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills to unwind. So good. And she she revealed this in an interview with Jennifer Lawrence, who apparently was in, you know completely understandable disbelief but um my favorites yeah my favorite scenes i love that oval office scene i love the ending scene as well that dinner table scene was quite beautiful um i loved every scene on the morning show when they would have breakdowns and just the incoherent insane ramblings of Kate blanchett and tyler perry like they were having the most fun of anybody i think yeah what was i gonna say i was gonna say something about uh timothy chalamet I do love that scene in the in the the drink mo place. Yeah, where he goes to the cash register and meets her for the first time. That's pretty funny. I enjoyed that. Yeah, there was something in the in the scene where they were just drinking, uh, you know, like outside with all the friends, and um, she says, "Oh, there was a line that I thought was this probably read differently to the two of us, but." Um, they're all of his jackass friends are talking about like they're talking about the ways that they feel like the administration sold out and why they were selling out and she says no it's worse than that she was like they're not even they're not even smart enough to be as evil as you're giving them credit for yeah no i liked that we feel the same about that yeah yeah Yeah. Uh um this one is sitting at currently i'm sure i mean it's been out long enough that i don't imagine it'll fluctuate too much but this movie is sitting at a 7.3 on imdb which has it a little below things like sophie's choice bridges of madison county doubt and the hours but above things like the post august osage that one probably hurts you a little bit (laughs) (laughs) the post uh out of africa silkwood julie and julia yikes it's a, it's above some of the some of the really good ones. It's at a fifty two percent currently on Rotten Tomatoes, but again, these things will change a little bit. Um, I don't imagine you have your rankings. I don't. I don't have maybe. I haven't done them in a while. I need to. I'm really sorry, guys. I I will say off the cuff, it's 
it's it's probably at the bottom for performances for me. Okay. Um, and I don't know if that's true. I can't see it clearly. The character is so hateful and awful that, and, and listen, like she commits to it so well. Like I really did not like watching her in this role. And so I don't know if that's a, like a phenomenal performance. Right. <laughs> or, right? Like, because there's a good argument there. Um, but I just, like, I love her so much and I couldn't, I, like I had trouble even laying eyes on her and so, on this, and it was like tragic for me. Like the whole thing was just a tragedy. So I was like, I was like at bottom. Like now, here's here's one thing to keep in mind, Meryl. Um, we have a we have a gentleman's agreement, so to speak, that the movie that has the biggest discrepancy between us, we are going to rewatch. Oh God! And redo. No, it's the best movie I've ever seen. <laughs> Well, I have this one. I didn't put. We may put a caveat that it doesn't include uh, that it doesn't include this one, but um, I have this just for. I'll put this in the show notes too. I have this at number ten. Um, it's in my top ten, but just barely in the performances. I also because I didn't say last time. I have Prime at twenty eight out of. We are now at forty eight. By the way, we have reviewed forty eight Meryl Street movies. Isn't that amazing? Oh, that is amazing. Well done, us. We, Especially we have, because we have these massive lags in between. Yeah. Our listeners are very patient with us. Two more to go, and we're hitting our 50th. We have to do something good for our 50th. Um, yeah. I do have this one just a little bit lower, um, if I can find it, uh, for the actual film. Okay. Oh, no, I don't. I have it further up. I have it in my number four spot in the in the film. Oh, wow. I know. I know. Oh, joke. Yeah. I loved it. Wow, this may be the one we have to rewatch. <laughs> it may be. Maybe. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll see. Maybe, maybe when I watch it with fresher eyes, when I'm not like a month into COVID <laughs> symptoms and my car's engine has been replaced. Right. Maybe I'll feel a little bit better. Yeah. Um, and I have Prime in the 30 spot, 30 out of 48. So... Now let's move on to our other segments. Do you have which would you rather do? Six Degrees or Movies We Wish Meryl was in? Let's do Movies We Wish Meryl is in. I don't have one, but I know you do, and I'm curious what it is. So the other movie that I saw, in fact, the only movie since I've I've spoken to you that I've seen in the theater was the new Ghostbusters, and oh, okay. um, which was fun. It was a lot of fun. I liked it, and um, it reminded me. I hope I haven't said this one. But um, I'm going to use the original, not this one, not the one that just came out, but the original from the 80s, Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters 2, in the Sigourney Weaver role. Mostly because it's not that great a role, um, but she kind of, Sigourney Weaver really elevated that material and it's kind of like the heart of that movie in a way that it would have been interesting to see what Meryl did with that. And like Sigourney Weaver and Bill Murray like are so playful with each other and like there was a lot of there's a lot of stuff about them like really enjoying each other they say like when she joined the movie like he started to like really commit to it and like really be interested in it and like you know not be kind of his bill murray kind of aloof self that he seemed more invested in it and i wonder if he would have been like that with with meryl too again it's not the greatest role she ever would have played but they're fun movies it would have been something very different for her so i just think it would have been fun yeah, I like it. Again, like not 
not because Sigourney Weaver wasn't good, and in fact, probably because Sigourney Weaver was so good that, you know, we feel that way. I know. We always, we definitely always say that. Yeah. <laughs> it's so true. Sigourney Weaver is, like, yeah. she's epic. She's amazing. Yeah. For sure. I would actually love to see, I have not, I have not seen the most recent Macbeth, mm-hmm. and I am very excited to see Francis McDormand. Um, and, and just because I've never been able to see Meryl Streep do any Shakespeare on, on stage, I think it would be really, I would love to see her Lady Macbeth. A hundred percent. And against yeah. Denzel Washington, I mean, come on. Oh, yeah. So good, right? But it's going to be that good I'm with Francis McDormand. When is it coming out? I think it's out. I think it's is out. It? It's on Apple. It? It's on Apple. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. I'm pretty sure it's available on Apple, though. I could be wrong, but, um, yeah. Okay, what about Six Degrees? Our person was Regina King. I honestly didn't even remember who our person was <laughs> because we haven't recorded in so long. And and bless you because you go back and listen for us to tell me. <laughs> I forget too, so I have to go back and remind. I am like the most delinquent host. You all should know. <laughs> You've had COVID. That, that does the heavy lifting. <laughs> always. For me. Because I'm always like, what? I don't remember. What? Which movie? <laughs> what person? What are we doing? What's going on? <laughs> You're getting over COVID. <laughs> oh, it's so sweet. <laughs> like, I haven't done this every other time before. <laughs> He's a good friend. <laughs> um, um, I have not thought of it. Like, my first some sort of connection to The Harder They Fall because that's the most recent movie she made. But I can't come up with one. Okay. I haven't watched <laughs> like it. Like... Idris Elba. <laughs> you can't get there through two, but you can get there through three with Idris easily. Okay. What are? Do you have one? Do you have a connection? I have a couple. Um, actually, I okay, well, the low-hanging fruit to me was Jerry Maguire. That was like the first place my mind went. And Tom Cruise, she was in with Lions for Lambs. And also Renee Zellweger, she was in uh, One True Thing. Yeah, One True Thing. I forgot um, she was in. I also True. just wa- I, I just watched, speaking of Will Smith, as we've talked about a little bit this time, I just rewatched uh, not long ago uh, Enemy of the State, which is also interesting time-wise to watch that one because it's, it's kind of timely in its own way as well. And John Voight has a supporting role in that. He also had a supporting role around the same time in a very similar role in Manchurian Candidate, actually. It feels like the same character. It's like the same universe in a way. Have Angela, uh, have um, Meryl Streep and Angela Bassett been in a film together? Music of the Heart, yeah. There we go. How Stella got her group back. Ah, that's a good one. Yeah. That's a very good. I was like, surely they have been. So I had those few, I had one other one, I forget what it is now, but I did the thing that I don't normally do because I was like, well, I don't have a million of these and normally I have a a million of these. And so I went to IMDb and I realized Meryl and Regina King have technically have a shared credit, which is they were both voices for the animated movie, The Ant Bully. Oh, that was a cute movie. It's been a long, I mean, I did not think of that because I've watched it once when it came out, which was, you know, 15, 16, 17 years ago. So it's not where my mind went. But technically, they have worked together as well. I can do, like, a two-connection. So uh, Regina King was in The Leftovers. Yep, which is amazing. 
Scott Glenn, who is in Silverado with Kevin Klein. There you go. You can go down. And that was sort of a, a long end. But That's a good one. That's a good yeah. one. Yeah. Um, who is our next Six Degrees person? I've forgotten. I picked somebody actually challenging. Yeah, you um, LaShawna Lynch, who plays um, the, the, the new 007 in No Time to Die. Uh, before Daniel Craig comes back and becomes 007 again. Yeah. And if you haven't seen it, watch the movie and you'll understand the plot. (laughs) (laughs) I watched that over break too. I've been just churning them out. That's good. Yeah, you've watched a bunch of good ones. A bunch of very good ones. Um, Cool. Well, I assume next time we're going to do Dancing at Lunasa. We'll just move that one. Um, Let's do it. And we... You know, my dad calls my my dad calls depressing movies hammer movies because, you know, you can get a hammer and hit your thumb to make yourself feel better after watching them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, this one promises to be a hammer movie, if I recall correctly. Yeah, but it's very good. And yes. I'm gonna propose I'm putting you on the spot here, but the one after that will be our fiftieth review. And I looked through the ones we still have left to do, and I think the most note you know, because it's our fiftieth, we should do something for our fiftieth. Yeah. I think the most notable one left is probably the Iron Lady, considering she won her third Oscar yeah. for it. So that oh, may be a do- that may be a good one for us to do our fiftieth. So for once, we're gonna tell yeah. you what our plan is for a couple episodes. We're gonna do Dancing at Lunasa. And uh, the Iron Lady, unless something, unless we're, you know, so derelict that another movie of hers comes, she's not filmed anything else, but <laughs> if another it new movie comes be out. It before you hear our episode on the Iron Lady, but you at least know the plan. <laughs> hey, and you know what? Like, thank you everybody for like still showing up and listening yeah. even with our long stints of silence. Um, it's great. It's nice to know. And please email us. Uh, it's fun to get emails from you. We love hearing from people. Um, yeah, Meryl Street Podcast at gmail.com. I always put it in the show notes, but I never remember to say anything about that. But it is interesting because we both had people reach out to us on social media. We've had emails about it, and it's just lovely to hear from people, especially when people, um, I don't know why, but when people from like all over the world write us and tell us where they're listening from, you know, and it's just amazing to think that people all over the place are listening to us. It's so fun. I think I told you this story last time we talked. I'm not sure it went on the recording, but I was at, I went to the Lehman Trilogy opening on Broadway and I was at the party and some, uh, a young woman came up to me and she was like, has anyone ever told you you look like Meryl Streep? And I was like, shut (laughs) up, get out of here. I love you forever. I don't even know you. You're my best friend. (laughs) And it turns out that she is like a massive Meryl Streep fan like she has watched all the movies, and so I, I told her she needs to come on here at yeah. some point. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, yeah, she's great. So she she may jump on here with us at some point because I she's looking forward to it. massive Meryl Streep fan. Like her profile at Columbia University says she's a stage manager. It says like resident Meryl Streep expert. <laughs> so I told her about the podcast. I did a little self-promotion. Good. I was like, fuck, you should say that. <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> yes. Cool. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, we'll be back soon. Bye, everybody. That's all.